We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,068 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, Weston. Weston, how are you? Doing good. How are you, Johnny? I'm fantastic. If I felt any better, it wouldn't be legal. I'm doing so great. Uh, oh, by the way, happy Valentine's Day, fellas, I, apparently. I, I completely forgot about it, to be honest with you, because it's, I mean, it's in a couple of places here. You see like a couple of ads here and there, but it's nowhere near the money-making scheme like it is in the U.S. You know, that's a multi-billion dollar day over there. But uh, anyhow, Bruce, how are you today? Oh, uh, healthy and alive. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, it is a big thing here, but uh, I completely forgot about it until you mentioned it. You didn't buy President Joe Biden a Valentine's Day card? Uh well, his would be um, an order of resignation, but yeah. Well, unfortunately, the uh, the poor people in my home state of Ohio are not having a very pleasant Valentine's Day. The EPA has come out today and said that, you know, uh, we we kind of we, we missed a few chemicals that were on that train and we didn't need to tell you about those until now. Gee, thanks. So it wasn't just vinyl chloride. Uh, it was a few other things. Butyl uh, acrylate. I, I don't know. Uh, mm -hmm. isobutylene and ethyl hexyl acrylate or something. I, I don't know. These don't sound very good at all. Mm -hmm. And of course, we were going over the owners in prep. We were going over the owners of that rail line. And it just so happens to be some very familiar names. Groups like Vanguard. I, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of these companies. JP Morgan, BlackRock, Wells Fargo, these companies. They just happen to be the major owners in the uh, the rail line. So, yeah, I I don't know. Weston, you saw that uh, that rail line. As a matter of fact, one was actually derailed in Texas yesterday, but that was due to a uh, to an accident, I think. Uh, and then there was one that was derailed mm -hmm. in, in South Carolina. In South Carolina. Well. Yeah. I don't know what caused that. Yeah. Well, yeah. my question is this. Where's Greta Thunberg? Where's Where's Al Gore? Where, where's all the uh, the climate loonies? Where's our transportation secretary? You know, Mayor Pete, Pothole Pete, where's he at? He was giving speeches yesterday about no diversity in the construction crews around the country where they're not building anything. Instead of addressing this problem, no one said anything about this. Where, where's all the Where's all the hysteria around this to actually bring awareness to this, to what they've actually done? This is a real ecological disaster that they've helped to create. Yeah. And where's all of the activists? Where's all the money? Where's all the, you know, all that stuff around it? Where, where are all of these people? You would think that they would have Greta Thunberg 
on a, a G5 getting in there, you know, a G6 or G, whatever the hell G that airline is, it, you would think that they would have her over there on the front lines with her her entourage protesting this thing. And you would think that Al Gore would be on every news network giving uh, updates and, uh, and screaming about the climate and what this is going to do to our environment and what this has done to the atmosphere because apparently we're setting off... How did he put it? Uh, 600,000 Hiroshima atomic bombs every 24 hours. But when something real happens, they're nowhere to be found. Well, uh, they, they, they have, uh, they're busy people, you understand, and they have uh, scheduled uh, being tours and junkets for their books and documentaries and things. And they have their, uh, they have their paid speeches. They get paid. I, I don't know how much Al Gore gets paid. I know a lot of ex-politicians, they all get, they get paid like thousands of tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars for giving speeches. And they only spend 30 to 40 minutes you know, giving the speech and they'll get, they'll get thousands for it. And Greta, she's also released a, a book, I believe, some sort of climate book. And she's also you know, really? talking about how I'm pretty sure she has. And she wants to like all the children in the schools to read it. But um, I could be wrong. But she she also um, she she they, they staged these they have these staged protests that she attends and, and things. But they don't have uh, I mean, when so happens off off schedule or it's not on their schedule just not going to address it especially because i mean these uh actual these real environmental catastrophes will in fact spur people that you know okay something needs to be done with the environment we need to have uh take better care of the environment and so on and so they don't really need so so unless they feel like no action is going to be taken they probably won't the media probably won't step in and then you know and bring out the climate activists and start browbeating everyone um when there's a real emergency and, and but one of the things that they'll that, that they'll say is that there's uh, that they can't really do anything about it. there's not enough money they didn't know it was going to be so bad etc etc the usual stuff that you get in, in, a, in an actual real ecological catastrophe i think there was a it wasn't just chernobyl yeah that nuclear fallout incident but there's also another one i think in the united states off some island in pennsylvania maybe or like off the coast of Pennsylvania, I think, or the something. Three Mile Island incident like in, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in New York, that, New yeah, Jersey area. Incident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Well, I don't yeah, remember they, it because uh, Jimmy Carter was president, but I remember <laughs> seeing documentaries and stuff about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like they they denied at the time that it was ever going to be. It wasn't going to, you know, and so on and so forth. It wasn't going to affect anybody. Uh, Fukushima, the nuclear fallout from that, uh, apparently, you know, wasn't it wasn't you know that bad, and it's all the all the radio radioactive particles that got in the water and when everywhere it's not going to have any effect on anybody you know that sort of thing when the actual ecological disaster occurs you get these the first thing the government does is deny that it's gonna as as bad as it is or that there's even like a serious problem um so now you have the epa that you know they, they, they didn't even release all the different chemicals on it at first like because they didn't they probably they probably were hoping they wouldn't even have to like they would just you know vinyl chloride was the only thing and that was it you know they uh they really don't want to tell the public what's really actually going on when when a disaster, when a real disaster actually occurs. It's the first reaction of government, and all these different disasters you'll find is the common thread. They just immediately deny that there's a problem, or that or if there is a problem, if they can't deny that there's a problem. It's not that bad, you know. Speaking of denial, yeah. Speaking of denial, they're they're not actually denying this, but they're instead they're they're intensifying this at least within the uh, the upper uh, circles of the bureaucracy. They're doing it. Uh, we haven't had you on since uh, since last week, and a lot's developed since last week around these uh, these balloons. Uh, you got any yeah. thoughts on that? You uh, you want to discuss any of that? Because the military they're they're talking out of both sides of their mouth today. Uh, they're saying we found significant debris that we've retrieved from these uh, these balloon crash sites. Well, I thought they weren't balloons, but then 
mm-hmm. the same sentence, they'll say, well, we're having trouble finding some of the debris. So you're either finding significant debris or you're having trouble finding it, but they're not balloons, but they are. So, what What are your thoughts on this? I, I think uh, Melissa had, had sent me an article this morning about how there's a general in the military was saying they hadn't ruled out extraterrestrial in this matter. And so they hadn't ruled out anything. And so they... Uh, Basically, they had this huge mystery, you know, of supposedly of what these uh, unidentified flying objects, and they even came up with a new term now, the military. They don't even call them unidentified flying objects anymore. They call them like a UA, it might be UAF instead of UFO, uh, something like that. Like they they come up with a new term for it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did did see that. They were, they were actually saying, uh, I, I saw a clip yesterday. They were actually saying that, well, what these are, these are UAVs. And I'm like, uh, no. And they, they said uh, UAV stands for uh, Unidentified Aer- Aerial Vehicle or something. And I'm like, no, that's not what it is. It stands for Unmanned Aerial Vehicle. That's the whole point of it. So they're mm-hmm. change. It, it almost seems like they're changing that term now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they've literally gotten. So now they're not using the UFO term anymore. They got this new. Yeah, I guess I think that's it. Yeah. You, unidentified Aerial Vehicle or something or something like that is what they're calling these things now. And uh, I, I honestly, I'm not. A hundred percent sure, you know, I don't have like a uh, a comprehensive theory as to why this might be happening at this particular time. Uh, but I will say, you know, it could be it's, it's primary it's, it's prepping the public, you know, for future conflict, definitely for China and so on. Um, because uh, I think it was a John Pilger. He came out with a documentary about the coming war of U.S. and China you know, back. I don't know how many years ago it's been, maybe 2018. So, you know, they've been... Uh, hyping this conflict for a long time now. The CFR at the beginning of this year uh, said that China is going to be too uh, busy with the, they had a new COVID outbreak or something near the beginning of this year. And so they're, they're going to be too busy, you know, dealing with that. But they're eventually going to launch their invasion of Taiwan, uh, probably next year, 2024, 2025. And so, and then the Japan is also doubling its defense spending. So Japan's going to, for the first time since World War II, they're going to be a major power. Again, I wouldn't. Militarily. I wouldn't be a bit surprised, and I I've heard experts speak on this, but I I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we found out all of the sudden, and I'm you know I'm just kind of saying that you know in air quotes all of a sudden that Japan miraculously has nuclear weapons mm-hmm. for quote defensive purposes only. I, I wouldn't right, be surprised if if we actually heard that at some point in the very near future. And that's in the W. That's in the WEF report that more and more countries are going to be able to have like tactical tactical nukes, like nukes that aren't like as you know, like it's just more localized in its effect, allegedly. And more and more, even non-state actors, but including more and more states as well, are going to have these weapons and they're going to be more and more likely to use them. And they might even get a, get rid of the first response, you know, only do it in reaction and retaliation to somebody else using a nuclear weapon against you and get rid of that principle, probably, it seems like. You know, or, or, you know that's what they're claiming. And uh, I can very well see it as true because they've already, I mean, if you think about what they've already, what's already been done, I mean, they have unleashed this uh, this, this uh, COVID nineteen you know bioweapon type idea, and apparently they're still going to do research on you know for new uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, what's gain of function research? That's the that's the word for it. Directed so they already got it's directed evolution. yeah directed evolution. Oh yeah, that's the newest term. Yeah, they got to use the latest terminology. I'm sorry, directed evolution. And then plus they have uh, you know daisy cutter. They've used that, and they got Afghanistan. That thing's you might as well be using a nuke. If you look at the effect, you know, I'm almost, I mean, I mean, maybe not the radioactive uh, active particles everywhere, but certainly, I mean, in terms of a destructive force, it's, 
you know, comparable. It's almost a nuke. Um, you have, um, and then plus all the other, you know, negative effects that they're good, health effects that they're, they're uh, you know, the depleted uranium and so on that they're using. So, I mean, or that they have used, I should say. So really, I mean, the, the tactical nukes idea is, they keep on mentioning in the, in the think tank reports about how this is a real problem. It probably is. And they, they do, like I say, their think tanks are coming out now that Japan's going to become a major power militarily for the first time since World War II. So that's, you know, it's kind of like, okay, so why who are they, who are they preparing to fight against? Hmm, you know. Well, you um, asked about uh, this this balloon thing and why they're doing this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you familiar with? And I'm, this is I, I don't I don't believe this, but I, I could pass this off as plausible, seeing as how desperate this establishment is. Are you familiar with uh, Project Bluebeam? Have you heard of this? No. Bruce is actually pulling a couple of things on it, and it's it's littered with like conspiracy stuff. But it's an actual uh, um, what do you call it? It's an actual plan where the governments around the world will stage a fake alien invasion uh. in order to get people to go along with a one world government and a one world agenda, and we've all got to unite to deal with this common problem. Blah blah blah. And that all seems to fit the bill with everything else that we see, doesn't it? Yeah, that's an old one. That's an old uh, yeah. plan that they had considered. I think even Ronald Reagan had mentioned it. Um, and it also was in the movie in the 1950s. I forget the day the Earth stood still or something. Uh, it was one of the movies that they had there. That, that was a good movie. I don't know about too much about the remake, but the uh, the original one. I mean, I remember seeing that as a mm-hmm. kid. And it was, if I recall, it was a pretty good movie. I haven't seen it. I just heard about it. But yeah, like where you have the aliens come and then they force the world to unite against the common enemy. But I don't think I don't personally. I don't think they'll. Well, first of all, I don't think they need to do that. Because they already have the uh, all the climate agreements and so on, which they're relentlessly like they seem like 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 I, like I was just mentioning in prep, they seem to be that's their top priority. Like they're worried about climate mitigation, they're worried about adaptation, they're worried about all the involuntary mi- migration that's going to happen because of all of these uh, severe weather events. And and that that was and of course according to Club of Rome, that was the, that's ultimately what they hit upon because they, they 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 sort of gave up on the alien idea. So I don't think they really need to use. Extraterrestrial, although they do love you know floating the idea and get people you know talking about it, the extraterrestrial idea because uh, that leads to endless speculation and it keeps people occupied, you know, and it keeps it's fascinating, you know, the idea of aliens and so on. So you know, I mean, I think I think that's a bit of a red herring, personally. That's my opinion. I no, um, I'm not going to disagree with you. I just I, I see it as as a as a card that they're looking to play to just gin up hysteria is all because if you're if you're hysterical mm-hmm. about something as a public, then you're not thinking at all. You know, you're you're too right. busy turned around like they were doing with the uh, the fear of like COVID and and the fear of the Russia mm-hmm. Ukraine thing and uh, and all the rest of it. So I think I like I said I agree with you, but I think it's just uh you know something that they use to you know to gin up fear amongst the population because I said yesterday they're just looking for a reason to get people down to Walmart again stabbing each other over rolls of toilet paper. Yeah, panic. Um, Wait, you listen to the news media and all the official uh, releases on this stuff, and they're saying it's it's no longer balloons. It's um, as you guys were saying, UAPs or um, unidentified aerial phenomenon. That's one of the other terms they use. And honestly, this this um, uh, Project Bluebeam. It's it's a stretch, uh, at least how it's written. It's a stretch. However, I think bits and pieces of it are true. Um, as you said, they're using this to gin up hysteria. That's that's literally what's going on. They're not only is it ginning up hysteria on this. Um, they're blaming 
China, but at the same time they're saying, oh, well, we're actually not sure these recent ones, they may not have been China. We don't actually know what they are. We don't know where they're from or any of those kind of things. And the descriptions that they tell of the uh, phenomenon that they're seeing is literally a blimp or another balloon. Uh, it, it, it's exactly what they're describing, but because balloons make the president look weak, because it took him so long to shoot down the first one, um, and they missed one <laughs> with one of the missiles, it makes them look terrible. Uh, so they are not calling them balloons anymore. They're calling them uh, some, some you know, they're, they're being very vague on what they are and, and kind of alluding to the fact like, well, they could be aliens. You, you, we just don't know. Yeah, that makes again, it sound more impressive, huh? You, you're misunderstanding. You see, it's it's the U.S. that are sending balloons to China. They said so. Um, I mean, we have them on the border, so that's actually how we know the gotaways. Uh -huh. it's, it's those blimps that we have on the border. Yeah. They have oh, the sensory and whatnot on there to detect that. The country of Moldova. There's been some stirrups in Moldova in the last couple of days. There's some problems over there with the uh, the the ruling party or something along the lines of the president or something, and he's not going along with the program. Yesterday, he said that uh, Russia is trying to overthrow their government, which, to be honest, I, I mean, I, I'm not taking the whole side of like Putin bad and, and all that stuff. I mean, Putin is a bad guy. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm not getting caught up in the, the agenda of it all is what I'm saying. But Russia, or more to the point, the Soviets, the old Soviets, and make no mistake, that's where Putin and the people that surround him come from. They're all KGB guys. That was their play with countries that they wanted to to try and take over back then during the Soviet times. They would go in, they would surround a country, they would have the government, the sitting government resign, install their own puppet government, and then pull back. That's what they would do. So again, I'm not making any claims here, but that's what the president yesterday said. Today, they close their airspace until 1600 hours local time. And nearest I can tell, it's still closed. And they just scrambled jets about 45 minutes ago to go shoot down an unidentified object that was in their airspace. And this is where? Moldova. Moldova, huh? Yeah, which yeah, a lot of people suspect. Near yeah. yeah, it's also on the border of Ukraine. A lot of people suspect that that could be another uh, another place that they're looking to, uh, to gain a foothold. It's interesting, too. Recently, um, the U.S. Embassy in Russia, they said you need to evacuate. All U.S. citizens should evacuate because you might be... Uh, you know, detained by the local authorities, or you know, they might try to force you to fight in the Russia-Ukraine war. This is what they were saying, and so you have to. They, they say everyone should evacuate Russia to leave. And I think that happened I actually, recently. That it did. Uh, it was two days ago, actually. I have the uh, the statement right here. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, this is a statement from the State Department on their actual website. They say, "Do not travel to Russia due to unpredictable consequences of the unprovoked full-scale invasion." I'm, they're actually calling it an invasion of Ukraine by Russian military forces. The potential for harassment and the singling out of U.S. citizens for detention by Russian government security officials, the arbitrary enforcement of local law limited flights in and out of Russia, the embassy's limited ability to assist U.S. citizens in Russia, and the possibility of terrorism. U.S. citizens residing or traveling in Russia should depart immediately, exercise increased caution due to the risk of wrongful detentions. And then they go on to talk about how the U.S. government has an inability to provide routine emergency services, which I think that's true in all cases. You don't need an emergency for that. They have a very big inability to provide routine or emergency services. Anyway, it took them a week to find the Superdome in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, a structure that you can see with the naked eye from space. It took the federal government in America a week to find it. So, yeah, well, you know, they the have good, 
Yeah, go ahead. I would say Alan would say, you know, the government sort of moves as if it was on square wheels. Like, like it doesn't, like it, like it always takes forever for the government to do anything. That's good. I like that. (laughs) Square wheels. Yeah, I like that. Uh, But whenever you see a country, whether that's the U.S. or or any other country, but whenever you see the country pulling their diplomats or their consular services or their embassy staff from a host country, then that usually means that something is about to happen. Usually. Yeah. Because when we start pulling diplomats like that, then, and, and nearest I can tell, I mean, we've had them in there. Our embassies in in Moscow have remained open and St. Petersburg have remained open. Our diplomats are still there. And if they're telling them now that, look, it's time for you to leave, then that means that something is about to happen, Mm -hmm. usually. Yeah, well, it's fully expected, uh, clearly, that there's, you know, they they feel that Russia is going to try and detain Americans for whatever reason. And so, you know, that means the U.S. must be planning something. It's hard to tell. Anyway, um, I tell you what, before I get into some of the other stuff here today, uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's I always give you this opportunity every week. What do you guys been working on this week uh, over at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com that people should pay attention to if they venture over to your site? So this week, Redux, we uh, posted an an Alwap blurb from 2006, December 14, 2006, Tinkering in the Matrix of the Womb. It was titled. And we have a Not Sure's piece, You'll Never Walk Alone where she talked about, or she did a little update on the, on the article about fetal vaccination of lambs that Alan was reading at the time. And he was, and Alan said at the time, back then, the whole point of this is to try to see if they can genetically alter humans, is what he said at the time. That's, that's really what they're after with these fetal vaccinations of these lambs. They're really looking, they're really researching this because they wanted to do this to humans, and they want, they're trying to create, you know, genetically modified people. And he was saying, and they're, they're, of course, not just any genetically modified people. They want to add, modify them in certain ways that they consider desirable and so on and so forth. But basically, he's been proven right. If you look at the recent, like, just like, the mRNA vaccination and, like, how if it passes on to the, the baby uh, breastfeeding or through the, uh, what do you call it, umbilical cord, what have you, uh, it does. The spike proteins are passed on. Um so, and then plus, uh, it's it's thought that these might be permanent, that uh, you, your your body is always a, is a spike protein factory forever, or who knows what else, other ways that you're being altered. It certainly is found that this, the, it's, it's found throughout your body. It's not just in one little location where you've been jabbed, so that it doesn't just stay there. Um, it gets into your bloodstream, it goes throughout your body. And so basically, the mRNA is, you know, it, it literally, it, it inserts, you know, new th- parts, it modifies the, your genes. So, I mean, what Alan was saying all those years ago is true all along. So I mean, think that was an interesting observation. But Melissa went into like the specific person, I think Babuik, it might have been, I, I might be pronouncing that wrong, with the, the author of that vaccination of a fetal lamb study. She actually looked into him, what he's doing, doing recently, she, she found that he's involved in this organization called Vito which used to be called the Veterinary Infectious uh, Disease Organization. But now it's like, the, like oh, I should have remembered this. But now it's it's like the, you know, vaccination and immunity disease, immunization disease organization or something. Something like, basically, they've switched from animals to humans. So now they're working for, uh, you know, how, how to, you know, all the vaccines that they're developing for the veterinary purposes, allegedly, that's what they claimed, you know, back in the 70s when they first started. And right up through. 80s and 90s, all along, and they finally said, okay, yeah, we're going to go into health effects into humans. So, exactly what Alan said. So, that was a little, that was really interesting, a little tidbit there. Um, I have, we had in the Redux actual talk yourself, Alan actually mentioned China a lot. He talked about how, you know, he met this woman who 
was like a, some sort of teacher, but she was well, from a well-connected family. and was attending all sorts of conferences and things. And one of the things was, is that they're doing such a good job in China on the population problem. And, and I asked her, what, what, who, what gives you, you the right to, 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 you know, control, you know, births and, you know, force abortions and things. And the woman's response was, no, somebody has to do it. And so I was just bringing that up just to say, you know, that's really the attitude of, of the people who work in these NGOs and UN, the population division and so on. This is really what they think. They think that, you know, somebody has to do it. What yeah. an answer. It, um, it fascinates me how they sit there just on that point. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interject, but it fascinates me how these people mm-hmm. sit there like this and they just they say that type of stuff with just impunity. Like it's just no big yeah. deal. Like the, the clip we played uh, last week when you were on of Dennis Meadows when he says, you know, we've got eight billion people and we're going to have to bring that down to to a billion. I mean, it's billion. Just, it's, yeah. And I, I don't hope to avoid that. So uh, he's just. He's just calmly talking about it like you're having morning toast or something. It's it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, because they, we're all just, uh, you know, livestock uh, to be, um, you know, or we're just numbers, you know, I mean, they're just so detached and it's a very cold, emotional state these people are in. And uh, I was, I, what I was getting at was that in the video, I actually, I didn't find, I didn't actually put pictures of, uh, People being dragged out of their homes because, you know, I was talking about how like during the, un, during the one-child policy in China, it eventually it got to the point where you know, they didn't even need the police to enforce it. Your own neighbors, would, would if they found out you were pregnant, a woman was pregnant with a second child, they'd drag her out of the home and force her to get an abortion. Well, it turned out, well, even though that after, this is, okay, so supposedly, okay, they stopped the one-child policy now, right? Well, now we had COVID and they did a similar sort of thing where if you had COVID and you need to quarantine, you need you know, to go to quarantine or whatever, you'd be dragged out of your own home and, and forced into the hotel or whatever that they were placing the quarantine people. And I actually found photos of that. And I posted that in the video while I was talking about that just to go along. Okay, so even though the one-child policy is technically officially is over, and they're actually now worried that they don't have enough, at least at least in some media outlets I've been reading, enough yeah, people in China, the, the population gotta... decline is going to be too drastic. Yeah, they're they're um, literally seeing the the consequences of what they've actually done now. It's, it's really bad. Uh, they are... Yeah. demographically they're on self-destruct it's it's really bad what's going on there yeah i think it's the largest um, you know deliberate decline in population ever in human history china is about to, it's undergoing right now and but they're still dragging people out of their homes for you know other issues so i mean it's still you know i mean and that's the model state and uh it's it's uh quite horrifying to realize you know uh, this is what's considered you know commendable uh, like as a model for all the African nation, especially for all the developing countries, you know, um, to, to emulate. And uh, another, um, let's see, what else did we post? Uh, we posted, uh, you know, more. We posted about the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, about the different things that people in Turkey were saying and that how, like, you know, very suspicious of the U.S. Uh, I think it was a, a battleship that came up to Turkey right before the earthquake happened. And um, there are lots of people about, you know, conspiracy theories about heart going up and then turkey going around we talk and you know um i would say one thing that is certain if you read all these think tank reports is that they are including the scenarios for future of technology and development that rockefeller 2010 report you know that everyone talks about because of the lockstep scenario the one of the things that they're all so, so certain about is they, is there's going to be an increase in severe weather events and so you you have to wonder you know what makes them so certain but you know there's also could be okay facts don't matter it doesn't matter if they're actually more there is that aspect to it but you know um we do know that uh or you know there are there are people in geoengineering 
has been going on, you know, for quite some time, although, although they don't, uh, there, there's been all sorts of research into it. So, and there's been uh, incidents in the past about, you know, flooding and so on and cloud seeding. And so you have to wonder, you know, how, how many, how, how many fl- floods and droughts, you know, if these things can't be caused or these things can be caused and then they're doing it. But of course, the thing is, is that you, you they'll never, if they were doing it, they'd never admit it because officially they've only, they're only still, they're still testing it right now. In October of last year, they've, they've launched another stratospheric aerosol injection pilot study that they're going to test to see if they can lower the temperature of the world, you know, to help uh, fight global warming. They're still, they're still coming out with that. I think they did, they did a, they already did a test on that, like, you know, several years ago and they're doing it. They started another five-year study on that. And Bruce, you had mentioned that they had already started. There's a, someone in the, doing mini volcano idea in, in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, it's a it's supposed to be like a startup environmentalist group or something like that. And they're, mm-hmm. they're charging people like $15 for one gram of sulfur to be dumped into the atmosphere. And they plan to, they're, they're doing small amounts and the amounts are so small that technically they, they skirt under regulations and everything. So they don't, they don't have to worry about that, but they're planning to release, uh, two kilograms, uh, uh of sulfur into the atmosphere this year. Now, in in this grand scheme of things, that's not going to do hardly anything to the climate or temperature. However, I, I find it interesting that they're dumping sulfur into the atmosphere because, you know, growing up as a kid, one of the problems was sulfur going into the atmosphere. atmosphere. Now we're going to have sulfuric rain and all this kind of stuff, you know, sulfuric right. acid, yeah. and it's going to be, you know, so devastating and everything. So why are we going straight to the, the same, you know, chemicals that they said we shouldn't be putting into the atmosphere? Why are they putting those same ones into the atmosphere now? So it, it, it's very sketchy. It's very, um, I personally, I would rather not start messing with the balance of our ecosystem and everything and, and start trying to say, oh, well, it's going to warm up too quickly. Um, no, we, we're coming out of an ice age. We've been coming out of an ice age for thousands of years now. Maybe just leave things alone because it's going to warm up. Maybe you should look at the benefits to it warming up like more areas are going to be from, you know, go from desert to being a, a nice uh, you know, they're going to have more irrigation, everything, because p- precipitation is going to increase and you're going to have more fertile land for more vegetation. And uh, we, we don't talk about those things. We talk about everyone's going to die in 10 years. And you know what the media response to, you know, uh, you're saying, well, we shouldn't mess with nature. What they say? We've already been releasing sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere due to coal plants. It's just been unregulated. Whereas if we start doing the stratospheric aerosol injection, see, we'll be injecting precise amounts into the atmosphere so we'll be in control we'll be in more control now that's what they claim um yeah let's uh let's let's not and say we didn't uh that i I would i would prefer that if we already don't know for sure that i mean we don't have any factual evidence that's showing yeah the the stuff that we're releasing into the atmosphere is going to be destructive um Mm -hmm. unless it's immediately destructive we don't actually know and and you want to you want to do experiments to to why don't you do experiments maybe like in the small scale first, you know, and, and like or in simulations or something? Go, don't go straight to we're going to run experiments on the entire planet, because if you if you mess something up here, it, let's say you trigger another ice age, that's going to be pretty devastating. Of course, mm-hmm. who, who am I kidding? I'm also talking to the same people that uh, created covid and created the vaccines to, to stop covid and, and are killing millions of people. So they already believe in depopulation. So. Uh, I guess maybe it, it feeds into the same system they're wanting to create. Yeah, and remember too, you know, 
they they also claim they've gotten the idea of cooling the atmosphere by injecting sulfur dioxide and different similar chemicals from volcano volcanic eruptions. And they, you know, I think the news article I was reading talked about Mount uh, Pina Buto in the Philippines that erupted in 1991. They said they lowered the temperature of the whole world on average by about one degree Fahrenheit. And so this is where they could die. Although, I mean, this, this aerial spraying, I mean, technically the tests were done, they started back in World War II. Helen has covered all this. And of course, they've really been doing it, you know, a big scale, uh, all kinds of different spraying for, you know, decades. But then, you know, it just, it just the facts don't matter. You can't really talk about it. To your point real quick, the, about the volcanoes, I believe mm-hmm. one of the theories behind the, the, the potato famine back in the 1800s, I yeah. believe one of the theories is it was a volcano, a massive volcano that erupted uh, back then. I forget which one they said it was, but there the was... The Irish thing? Uh, yeah, yeah, the the Irish, uh, the famine. They they, yeah, they yeah. theorized that it was some, one of the, vo- I forget which volcano it was, but that erupted and caused mm-hmm. a bunch of ash and everything to go into the atmosphere and cool it down. There was also another reason behind that, that history really doesn't talk about much. And it was the fact that they only grew one kind of potato predominantly. They had a bunch, you know, like four or five different main kinds of potatoes that the Irish grew back then, but they only mm-hmm. grew one. And that one main potato that they grew was extremely susceptible to different types of, um, well, be it, um, you know, climate changes, or I think even one of the theories was it was a type of um, like a bacterial thing that that came through because of uh, atmospheric changes. And uh, it caused that particular, I don't want to say strain of potato, but uh, whatever it is, that that particular type of potato for that one specifically to be wiped out. Variety. Yeah. Yeah. That variety. Yeah. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Those are both probably contributing factors, but I think Alan has covered before that Really, what happened in the uh, during the Irish potato famine, I think of 1848, was is back in the 1800s. What, what really what happened was that the government at the time deliberately aggravated the scarcity of the food. So you know that that was just one factor: the potatoes, you know, being wiped out by you know this disease or whatever, the blight. The government actually had decided that, and, and he actually linked to a website, and they had like quotes from different politicians at the time during the Victorian era, you know, calling Irish people white chimps and so on. They really didn't like the Irish. The people in charge of the British Empire at that time, and and so they uh they actually like you had troops like deny food from being imported in all kinds of different foodstuffs, and that's actually why the famine was so as bad as it was. They they denied outside food from coming in the government at the time because they you know they decided that they need to call the call the the Irish people. It really happened. I forget the website. I should have remembered, but it was, yeah, I think if you search like the real history behind the Irish potato famine or whatever, you you probably you probably be able to find it. In fact, Bertrand Russell's uh, grandfather was one of the politicians, I think, at the time who was uh, was who was advocating that they need to stop uh, charities from sending food over to Ireland during the famine. I think this is a good uh, good point to put in my trope of uh, government's bad. Okay, kind of fits that. It's very fitting. Would you like to switch over to um, artificial intelligence conversation? Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Would you like to talk about? Sure. We talk about the Michigan shooting, but if you ask anybody today, well, they would say, what Michigan shooting? Well, that disappeared. Yeah, because they were a black man who. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, we can't talk about that. Uh, Biden is going to sell another 26 million barrels of oil out of our strategic reserve. That's going to go away. Uh, But uh, again, like I said, we can uh, we can talk about the uh, the AI uh, developments if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think AI is a very important point because. You know, back during, you know, the COVID lockdowns, you know, we had that uh, that stimulus checks come in and, and the generous unemployment payments all come in because, you know, nobody could work. Well, 
Now we have the AI coming in, and now they're saying again, look, nobody's going to be able to have work because we have this AI, because the AI can do everything, right? So again, they're coming back with it. Universal basic income idea, you know, we got to have this so that people can have time you know, to afford to live while they're reskilling to actually find, you know, their next job, um, you know, so that we have to give the, the, the poor, you know, sods, you know, some way to live, uh, an idea. And of course, this is, nothing is ever, nothing like that is ever going to be given for free. And you're, you're definitely not going to be free. Well, you already aren't free, but you're going to be less free if you have universal basic income, believe you me, because, you know, they'll have you jumping through hoops and they'll have and they'll start denying you it if you talk out about, talk bad about the government or what have you. Who knows what else, you know, other little silly rules you have to obey even in order to get that. So, yeah, well, Lula da Silva, uh, the uh, hijacked president of uh, Brazil, said earlier this week that if you don't have a vaccine for COVID-19, then you don't get any benefits. You, you don't get any of that uh, that state money. Oh, and if you've got a child in the house that receives some type of supplemental income, everybody's got to be vaxxed, including the child, or you're not going to get that money. So... Yeah. It's going to be part of that. I mean, you can't have part of this agenda, as I was saying last week, you can't have part of this agenda, not all of it. You've got to have every bit of it to go with it. My question was going to be the political bias that they're programming into the AI. Right now, if you ask it certain questions based on this whole uh, woke ideology that we're dealing with, you can see that it's got a clear bias to that and it's not impartial. So how can we expect yeah. this to be a, uh, a neutral moderator going forward or a, uh, a solution going forward when it's already got effectively a far left slant to itself? Well, it, it's not meant to, to be neutral. It's meant to, to enforce what the or it's meant to do what the designers wanted to do. And the designers of it are all on the payroll of the big tech. And the big tech is all and heavily, deeply entrenched in, in, the, in the woke ideology. So, you know, it's going to do what the, what the people who, who are designing it want it to do. And Melissa and I were saying, this is a, maybe a couple of weeks ago, that we were talking about this. We're thinking, eventually, as we get deeper and deeper into the social credit type system, where we have to have a vaccine or to get benefits and so on, really, you should never, it's actually not wise to talk about your vaccination status or talk about guns even, because, you know, guns probably will affect your social credit, believe you me. If you're a gun owner, it's probably not wise to talk, even over a phone or these sort of telecommunications, it's probably not wise to talk about it. Like you have to sort of, you know, be more secretive about certain things because, you know, the, the FBI or ATF or whoever, you know, is going to come down on and these sorts of individuals are labeled as dangerous for because they own a gun or are not vaccinated or uh, what have you. Um, so I think... Uh, once you are in, I mean, okay, ideally, yes, we would have the First Amendment. Well, yeah, but and look at what just, DHS, look at what DHS, just yeah. on that point, look what DHS did this week. DHS classified, uh, or was it the FBI, What one of, it doesn't really matter. It's under the umbrella of DHS. DHS classified Orthodox, ca or not Orthodox, um, uh, Catholics, uh, traditional Catholics as domestic terrorists or something. So it's, yeah, they, it's it's Catholics that uh, want to have mass in uh, Latin. Latin. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. There, there you go. So that that is a is, is a problem now. The, these are now uh, right wing extremists. These are now domestic terrorists. So I don't well, even think, think it has to go as white far. Supremacy. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it has. What I'm saying is, is I don't think it has to go as far as what you're describing because they're already describing something as the English are going to love me for this. Something as benign as that. <laughs> with the Catholics, that it's already happening. And so mm -hmm. it's not going to have to get as far as what you're talking about because they're already doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, 
I mean, there really isn't that much white supremacy. In fact, they had to come up with a new term several years ago, I think, you know, the white nationalism. Because there wasn't enough white supremacists around, so they had this white nationalist term it's, come out. So that it's, way, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it's, it's laughable the way they portray this stuff. And if you like the Bill of Rights and Constitution, you're a white nationalist because there was white people who wrote it. Oh, for God's sake. And so, the, yeah, they had to come up with a new term because there wasn't enough white supremacists in the United States. There really isn't that much of it. I mean, as far as oh, I can tell, I, 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 I made this joke. Catholics. Yeah, I I made this joke a a couple of years ago. I said, how many white supremacists do you have in the U.S.? What is it, like 12 guys at a gas station in Arizona somewhere? Like, that's that's about all it is. And anytime you see one of these, quote, right-wing nationalist groups, it's usually a bunch of feds. And they get caught later that they stage the whole thing. And it's the same thing in a lot of these other countries. Take the United Kingdom. They do the same thing. Take Germany, they do the same thing. I mean, they just ran a big sting operation here, and they say, oh, the government brought down a a big dark web operation, and and they arrested so many people. Well, a hundred of the people that they ended up arresting turned out to be feds. And so it's like they're they're doing the same thing. And and I, I laugh at this because... I watch what they do and, you know, we're paying attention. Those of us that are paying attention, eyes up to this situation. I see what what they're doing and, and how they're playing these agendas out. And I can't help. I mean, I laugh at it, but, but that's the only thing you can do if it just wasn't so damn serious. Mm-hmm. But I, I look at this stuff and I think to myself, after I get done laughing, I'm like, what is this amateur hour? You people can't do any better than this. With all of the resources and all of the the criminal think tanks and everything else, all these other people they've got, this is the best you can do with Hollywood and the production houses and everything that you're you have at your disposal. This is the best you can do. This is the best script you can write. It's laughable. Yeah, and I think part of it is just that you know the, the Anti Defamation League and all, and the Southern Poverty Law Center and all these different organizations they've hit upon a narrative and they're not going to lead it. So, so the narrative is is that you know the America is filled with a bunch of white supremacists, and uh, basically you can't if you want limited government, you're a white supremacist, I, I guess, because you know that's what the founders wanted, and founders were white, and then it, some of them were slave owners, and you know, all that. So this is uh, this is the uh, far fetched connection that they've sort of dug their heels in, and they're not going to you know budge on it. Just like with the climate change issues, they're not going to budge on it, no matter what scientific argument you come up with. Another point I would like to make, you know, that they keep on focusing, I mean, they, even though at the same time they're attacking us for being white supremacists, or at least not, I wouldn't say us, I would say like at least like large like large you know, groups, like, you know, blanket condemnation of anti-vaxxers and so on. At the same time, they're telling you they'll be scared of an external threat, like China sending balloons over. You should be afraid of your own government and over what the Chinese are doing, especially because your own government, especially, uh, you know, if you're a member of the UN, which is just about every country in the world. They're telling you that China is the model. And so whatever the Chinese are doing, your own government wants to do. Your own government wishes it could do better. Justin Trudeau said that, I think, several, you know, before he was elected even. He said, you know, I really like China. They really get things done. They have a basic dictatorship, he said, that he likes because they can you know, just uh, enforce the, the ESG type policies or greening policies, you know, very quickly. And again, you know, even when that going back to that Rockefeller report, in 2010, scenarios for future tech, of technology and development or international development, I think it was. And what they said was, is that you know China during that lockstep scenario, China was going to do better than most other countries because they were more authoritarian and they could really quickly lock everything down, no objections, everybody complied, high rate of compliance. And so now that we've lived through it, we know that our own governments are in favor of doing those policies and and that they have no qualms about doing it. And so that's really, I think, the real threat that we should be worried about. 
And of course, they'll bring in the big bad bear of Russia, or they'll bring in China to to make us you know scared and terrified. Uh, and you know, of course, we should already be terrified because because we have out of control authoritarian government that is uh, enacting all sorts of policies, injecting uh, toxic substances into, trying to inject into everybody, including children, you know, and uh, trying to do massive uh, projects in order to save the world, in order to, you know, prevent the world from warming, they're claiming. You know, we have to do climate mitigation, we have to get the net zero carbon emissions, and we have to get rid of uh, our, our gas, our, our um, what do you call it, internal combustion engine type vehicles. This is extremely harmful, and it's really hurting a lot of people. Uh, medical care is being priced out of sight. Um, it, medical care has been routinely, I mean, ever since the Rockefellers took over the medical industry back in early 20th century, uh, it's, it's, medical care has, got, has gone up. The cost of getting an education to, to actually become a doctor has increased in many years, so on and so forth. There's been so many changes over the years. And uh, now, less and less people can afford medical care. It's the same situation. It's not just a public health system versus a private one issue. And, and Horgen Randers said this in his book, 2052, regardless of how you, how you approach healthcare, whether you're doing a socialized system or not, most people aren't going to be able to afford it in the future. And and, and that's really, a, so that's another issue, a major uh, problem. I mean, what good is all the advances in science and technology? What good is the advances in, in medical care if nobody can afford it? Well, it's, it's good for the rich. It's good for the elite. That's about it. Yeah. And um, on that point, uh, you know, kind of connecting that to the AI front that we were discussing initially, Bruce and I were talking offline about this the other day. Doctors, what'd you say, Bruce? Less than five five years, maybe less. And they're going to start being phased out because of AI, roughly. I mean, they're, yeah, they're already yeah, running, yeah. Proto, I don't want to say like prototypes, but uh, pilot plan. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm having trouble finding my words today. Uh, they're running pilot plans in remote communities and villages uh, across Europe now with these uh, examination pods where they don't have the medical facilities like you would have at a, you know, like a, say, like a city or something like that or a larger uh, area. And so they'll have these high tech pods put in to the doctor's office or wherever is in that little town somewhere. And you schedule an appointment and you go there and it's got like all the sensors and the everything, you know, the all the examination things and everything. And a doctor comes up on the screen in front of you and says, okay, this is what I need you to do. And he's monitoring and looking at these things in real time. And he's telling you what you need and what you don't need and how things are and how things look and, and this and that. And I could totally see that being automated and run by AI in uh, in the coming months and years. I, I could see that, especially since uh, what we saw last week, uh, the AI was put against our top tier medical exam and passed with flying colors. I could absolutely see that. What, so you said, what, five years, maybe less? Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing maybe five years because um, you look at, as you said, the, the AI is capable of, of passing these exams. It's going to eventually come to the point to um, if you go to the doctor and you you're you're getting whatever diagnosed or your your test run or whatever, um, you're going to ask for well, what's the AI's opinion? Uh, what what does the AI say about this? Instead of the doctor, the doctor will be there to give you the empathetic you know, empathetic response. You know, they'll they'll give you the emotional response or what have you. You know, he'll be the one to break while uh, you have cancer. Uh, he'll be the one to break it to you, not the AI, because the AI is going to be cold, emotionless, very, you know, straightforward, blunt. Um, you can program it to seem like it has emotion and everything, but it, it's not. But I, I think it's going to replace very quickly the doctors because it can pick out patterns 
more accurately the experiments they're already running with uh with that in like uh your your universities and whatnot it has like an 87 89 percent accuracy whereas doctors are, are lower than that like it, it's way more accurate than doctors are right now um it'll 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 initially phase in as a um this will be uh, to augment doctors uh it, it'll it'll help doctors identify things and eventually it'll come to replace them um but if you look at doctors we, we were talking about uh, gp uh you know before on, on one of the past um shows that we did he was talking about doctors routinely go on and and um search your symptoms on google uh, so they're already using AI to augment. I mean, Google is a very yeah. rudimentary AI. So it, it they're already they're already doing this now. Um, it, it's just a matter of time now that people have really taken a liking to uh, Chat GPT as an example. Mm -hmm. It's become such a a big deal and big exposure to it, and people are realizing, wow, AI is actually quite amazing. That is going to continue. And like I like I said before. Um, it's, it's kind of like the smartphone when you first seen the smartphone. Oh yeah, this, this is pretty cool. This is pretty neat. And over time now it's gotten to the point to where, uh, why don't you give up your smartphone and people have been, mm, no, uh, I like my, smartphone. how can you have a job if you don't have a smartphone? They expect you to have a smartphone. Exactly. And oh, it's going to be the same thing with get. AI. Yeah. And I think, uh, I remember back in when I was high school, one of my friends, a friend of a friend, he didn't even ever, he never really went to the doctor. He said, I just use WebMD. You know, that's how I, I just look at the symptoms on WebMD and that's how I figure out what I have. And you had, of course, and then you had the idea of self-medicating, like people, you know, smoke marijuana because it makes them feel better or whatever. It seems to relieve their, relieve their symptoms. And, and, you know, you could say, well, if you extend that principle, you know, increasingly people will probably, you know, self-medicate. And if they see a doctor at all, or if they have anything to do with a doctor, it might just be over the phone or something. And they just tell it to say, hey, I have these symptoms and I need this to relieve it. And they can just, so they're basically, you know, I mean, it'd be increasingly streamlined through the prescription process. And because people can't actually afford to have a, you know, doctor come and, or actually go see a doctor and have them uh, do an actual, like, actual examination and so on. Well, and, the, and so the pilot you were talking about is like 30 bucks to go in yeah, and have like, that done. It's between That's, 20 and 50, mm -hmm, depending on where you reasonable. are. Yeah, this, it only yeah. costs the, these these things to put in. Even the cost to have one of these things installed, if you're a uh, if you're a doctor's office, in comparison, it's minimal. It's only a hundred thousand, mm -hmm. and I say only a hundred thousand. I mean that's a lot to you know like us, but yeah, in comparison for uh, for a medical facility, that's nothing. That's nothing at all mm -hmm. to have one of those. So the the cost I think is negligible when you're doing one transgender top surgery that costs forty thousand dollars. You know, oh, hey, you know, there you go. Yeah, there you go. That's paid for. Yeah. Uh, but okay, to that yeah. point, uh, and you also said something about these companies and everything. They're all on board with China, and that's something that we shouldn't ignore. Because when they say, oh, well, uh, we're, we're fighting against China because of these balloons. No, they're not. No, they are not. You should be more concerned about your government. Why? Because they're on board with China. The Fortune 500, they're on board with China. That's what they've said. You've said it before, yeah. Bruce. Wes, and you said it here. China is the model. China is the model. They've been hammering that home for, for almost 20 years now, that China's the model. To give you an idea, really quickly... And then we can cover one last point if you like, uh, or we can wrap up entirely up to you. This is Klaus Schwab talking about exactly that on Chinese state television. 
On the G20, you were there meeting some of the leaders as well. Professor Schwab, what do you make of the result? Finally, they put something as a statement, and it seems quite positive with all the voices included. I think it's positive. It's uh, already positive through the fact that everybody agreed about the statement, which we haven't had the last years. Now, the base has been formed, but um, we have to go one step further. We have to have a strategic mood. We have to construct the world of tomorrow. It's a systemic transformation of the world. So we have to define how the world should look like, which we want to come out of this transformation period. I uh, respect uh, China's achievements, which are tremendous over the last uh, over 40 years. I think it's um, a role model for many countries, but I think also uh, we should leave it to each country uh, to make its own decision what system it wants to adapt. Mm. And I think we should be very careful in imposing systems. But the Chinese model is certainly a very attractive model for uh, quite a number of countries. It's very attractive models. You see, we don't want to force that idea. We think that we should leave that up to each country to decide for themselves. What he really means is, is that we're going to put our young global leaders in charge of your country to make sure that that's the way that it goes. And if you vote against that, well, we'll just vote again. Yeah, I mean, officially, they, they don't they don't want to, they're not going to force you, they're not going to, you know, mandate a vaccine They just make it, you know, uh, kind of inconvenient. And, and you just can't really, you know, navigate society without taking one. Yeah. yeah, you can't really travel or, you know, do anything. Another issue, uh, that's actually another point I should bring up. I know you mentioned that I could bring up another point. I probably should. Mention yeah, sure. This. Go ahead. Involuntary migration is one of the big risks that they're expecting over the next 10 years at WF. Well, if you think about it, if they have travel restrictions on a, on people who aren't vaccinated, and let's say like in the, you remember, well, I'm not sure, people who have been listening to Alan, they might recall that he's brought up repeatedly that book by Atali called Millennium, The, Lo- the Winners and Losers in the, in, the, in the World Order book that came out in the 90s. And he was talking about how people, including the United States, are going to be boat people and they're all going to be, you know, getting on boats and, and looking for work abroad all over the world. And so if you think about, well, if you have the AI coming in, you're not going to have any work. And so you have to rescale, but you might not not only have to rescale according to the WF and so on. You might have to involuntarily migrate because of some natural disaster or because you don't have any work. Well, if you're not vaccinated, what do you think that's going to do to your ability to travel to various places? It doesn't matter. So this agenda, I mean, it's very well thought out. And really, they're really going to force... Uh, because uh, already for years, they've had the travel vaccines recommendation. And like, if you've traveled this country, you need to have this, this and this. Alan himself had had to, had to get the vaccine back in the 90s, a booster or whatever, in order to do, play music because he was going to go on a tour. And that's how that's how he ended up getting. Uh, I'm not sure if it was, uh, what do you call it? The, the rheumatoid arthritis. I don't think it was. It was something similar to that. And he couldn't play guitar for a while. And, he, and the doctor told him he would never play guitar again. Of course, that, wasn't, that turned out not to be true. But yeah, so they've already been, you know, for sort of almost forcing vaccines on people for travel for, for quite a long time now. And you, you think after post-COVID era, and then plus you could be increased need for travel because, you know, there's, there's going to be a very limited amount of work. And you, you already see, you know, uh, that's another, another pressure, another dilemma 
for people who really, really don't yeah. want to take these shots. Yeah. And to be honest with you, between between all of us here, and I think all the listeners understand this and everybody that wants to pay attention at this point, due to the fallout that we're seeing, we have a score to settle with the yeah. rollout of these vaccines. Uh, so this idea that we're going to be doing uh, what Tony Blair surmised at the WEF this year, that we're going to have multiple shots. We're going to see about that, Tony. We're going to see about that. Barring anything else, uh, we can go ahead and, and, and wrap up. You got a final point you'd like to make? I would say just uh, visit countingthroughthematrix.com. We're going to be posting more stuff. Um, we're going to uh, real history of Melissa still going from. We got another episode going up on Thursday in the evening. And uh, I will continue making videos. And I, I will, I promise to get back to posting transcripts pretty soon, hopefully within the next few months. I'll get back to doing, I'm sorry I haven't been doing that because we've been paying attention to the transcripts page on the website. So uh, I'll just squeeze that in. Well, that sounds good. You uh, you saved me from promoting your website, uh, but no, I always do that anyway. But again, uh, Weston from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com where they maintain all of the collected works of the late, great Alan Watt. Please get over there and give their website a look. It's an absolute treasure trove of information. Weston, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll see you next week. I would like to thank both of you for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening.